0: Let me encourage you this morning to find your sermon notes. You can follow along as we go. More importantly, talk about it, pray about it uh, later today or later this week. And most importantly, then live the message that you've heard and see how your life then is transformed. I want to begin with uh, an illustration. There was... uh, An anecdote by Frank Lloyd Wright. How many of you are familiar with Frank Lloyd Wright? Raise your hand. Okay, the famous architect. I guess he was about nine years old, and he was uh, walking along in a a field, a pasture, if you will. There was some cattle there. There was woods off there in the distance, a a fence on the other side. He was walking along with his uncle. Now, his uncle was a rather stern-faced, sober-minded man, and as they were walking along and got to the end of the field, the uncle said, now turn around, Frank. He's about nine years old. He said, I want you to, to look back. I want you to look at my footprints. The snow had fallen, and there were footprints now in the snow. Look at those prints and tell me what you see. And the little boy looked, and there was these footprints, and they were just one after another after another, maybe a little picture up there of what it might look like, you know, straight as an arrow. And then the uncle said, okay, now look at your footprint." Now, he's a little boy. He's nine years old. What do you suppose he has done? Well, he's meandered all over the place. He wanted to go see the cows. He wanted to go see the woods. He went to the fence, and then he went back, and then he crisscrossed. And so his footprints look something like that. And the uncle said, there's a life lesson here. You need to go from one point to the other to reach your goal." Well, as Frank Lloyd Lloyd Wright reflected on that years later, he said, I learned a goal that day, but with a little twinkle in his eye, he said, I learned not to miss the things that my uncle did. It's true, isn't it? We get so distracted with life that we miss the journey so often. We miss what is truly important. Kind of like what happened to Jesus as his disciples were looking to him. We know the story. We just read that. It's early in Jesus' ministry. He's preached maybe his very first sermon in a synagogue in Capernaum. He's on the way home. He had gone there with with his disciples, and now they were returning to to Peter's house. And when they get there, they discover that Peter's mother-in-law wasn't there at the synagogue. She had a fever, so she had stayed at home. And so Jesus lays hands on her, and he heals her. That's, that's work. He had preached, and now he is, is healing this woman. Now, what would you expect if you've been sick, and you've been sick maybe for a while, that Jesus would say to her, now, it's okay, just take it easy a little bit, and, you know, you can, you can get back to your duties later on. But, but she doesn't. She immediately began to work. She waited on, well, Jesus and Peter and Andrew and and James and John and whatever other disciples were there. We know that in this life we need to work hard. Hard work is desired. And yet, we need to ask this question. You can put that back up there. How do we enjoy the journey? When everyone and everything is searching for you, wanting a piece of you, and demanding your time. You see, when when everyone found out that Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law, the whole town shows up. Everyone has a demon, or they they need some healing, or they're blind, or they're sick. So Jesus goes to bed that night. He's exhausted. And then early the next morning, he he gets up to regenerate, regenerate himself, He goes out to pray to be with his Father. And again, everyone is searching for him. How do you enjoy the journey when everyone and everything is searching for you? When everyone wants a piece of you? When everyone demands your time? So we all have to work, right? I mean, even I have to work, even if it's just one day a week, I still have to go to work too. It's like all the rest of you do. And it's not just career, it's not just job. Relationships require work. Marriage is hard work. Children are hard work. Friends and family are hard work. We know that. If you're a doctor, you know that you have to spend years studying, years in residency, years alone. You can't have a social life like everybody else does. The life of your patient demands that. If you're a teacher, you have to work hard or late nights. You have to grade homework. You have to be prepared. You have to make your lesson plan. The minds of your students demand it. Parents, certainly. Mothers in particular. You have to sacrifice for your children. They require that. Even if you're a builder, a carpenter, you have to measure everything before you cut, before you drive the first nail, the integrity of the structure requires it. We all know this intuitively, don't we? And yet Solomon writes this to make it extremely clear. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit. It comes quickly. If said, just a little more time for myself? Just a little, a little more time away from work. But if you go on vacation forever, pretty soon, there will be nothing to come back to afterward. I don't know. You probably had grandparents uh, like me or parents like me who emphasized hard work and, and maybe questioned your work ethic from time to time. I know my grandmother had a saying. It went something like this, good, better, best. Never let it rest. Until your good is better and your better is best. Work harder, do more. Or my mother would always say, idle hands are the devil's workshop or playground, which of course just made me want to be more idle, but that's another story, right? Living demands that we work hard. It's good for the soul. Is there anything better than after a hard day of work? physical labor to come home and admire all that you have done or that feeling that you get, that sense of accomplishment. It's good for the soul. Jesus was working. He was working hard in his ministry. Peter's mother-in-law, immediately after she's healed, she goes right back to work. We know that that is important. Now, at the end of the message, I will remind you That sometimes we have to take a time out. We have to stop running. We have to stop the madness. But that only works when you work hard in the first place. Uh, There's a picture up there. Imagine this. In Africa, the sun comes up every morning just like it does here in America. And in Africa, if you are one of those animals, you had better wake up running. Otherwise, there are dire consequences. If you're that wildebeest, you don't wake up in the morning running faster than the fastest lion, you are going to be his lunch meat for the day. But the same for the lion. If you don't wake up running faster than the slowest wildebeest, you're going to starve to death. Hard work's required. We know that in this life. And yet, there is... The lingering question, how do we enjoy the journey, this abundant life that our God has given to us when everyone and everything is searching for you, wanting a piece of you and demanding your time? Well, don't let others define your goal. Now we go back to our story. Jesus is out. He is in solitary uh, prayer with his father early in the morning. It's not even light yet is searching for him we know that peter is because he finds him but i would guess it's more than just peter i'm thinking andrew's out there too i think james is out there looking for him i think john is out there looking for him because the people are all coming to the house who's going to heal them is it going to be andrew probably not there are blind people who's going to heal them is it peter probably not people want their demons cast out who's going to do that doubting thomas probably not they need jesus They've run after him. Maybe even some of the people who had been healed. Even one out of the ten lepers came back to thank Jesus. Maybe they want to deliver a thank you card. Maybe it's Simon's mother-in-law. Jesus, you left before breakfast. That is bad man. So everyone is searching for Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Let's go elsewhere. (laughs) Let's, Peter, let's let's go elsewhere. Let's leave this place. Let's go elsewhere. There are other people who need me as well. And Peter's probably saying, but what about all these people? What am I going to do with my mother-in-law? Does it ever seem odd to you that we have this expectation that Jesus should meet every single need? He doesn't. He's in Capernaum. There are people in Bethsaida that need to be healed. There are people in Jerusalem that need to be healed. When he was in the wilderness, he wasn't with the people in town. He makes it clear that he has one goal, and it isn't necessarily the immediate needs of the people. Let me give you another illustration to make the point. Way back in December of 1970 so go back with me a ways. Flight 401, Eastern Airlines, now defunct, Eastern Airlines, Flight 401. It is leaving New York City. December it is filled with Christmas holiday passengers going to Miami. They're almost there. When the flight engineer notices that when the landing gear is to be deployed, the little light bulb on the dashboard doesn't go on. And he thinks to himself, I wonder, did it actually deploy or is the light bulb defective? That could happen too. So he's fiddling around with it, trying to get the thing to work and it doesn't come on. So he calls another engineer over and says, come come over and look at this. What do you think? Is it the light bulb or or is the landing gear not really deployed? He goes, I don't know. Let me call the pilot over. Come look at this. And he's looking at the light bulb. He says, co-pilot, come over here. And pretty soon the entire cockpit is looking at the light bulb. Meanwhile, this plane, which is supposed to be landing, has been circling over the Everglades. Everyone thinks it's at the same altitude, but it is ascending. And no one notices. Until it's too late and the plane crashes in the Everglades killing 101 people on board. You have these high-priced pilots. They they get paid a a great deal of money, and they are focused on a 75-cent light bulb. They forgot the number one rule of flying is don't forget to fly the airplane. We do it all the time in the church. We have so many activities. So many things that we have to do. Meetings and events and and things that go on and we forget our number one goal, our number one purpose, which is to make disciples. It's what Jesus told Peter. We're going to leave here because I need to preach the good news. That's why I've come. I have brought the good news To those who are lost and poor and blind, not physically, but spiritually. Yeah, we're going to heal a few people along the way. We're going to cast out a few demons. Hallelujah. Some people will get their physical sight, but I'm really here so they get their spiritual sight. Don't forget why you're here. Don't forget what's important in your relationships, in your marriage with your children, your job, your purpose in the kingdom is to make disciples. Point people to Jesus Christ so they can live eternally. Earlier I had said that on October the 9th, we're having a ministry fair going to be in the gym. It has the added perk of a taste of Emmanuel. That's not the number one purpose. Although you might get some good recipes along the way. It's so you can know what your purpose is supposed to be. How will you serve the Lord? What is your one thing that you can do? Again, as we ask our question today, How do we enjoy the journey, this abundant life that God has given to us when everyone and everything is searching for you, wanting a piece of you and demanding your time, even in the church? Don't let others define your goal. Know what it is. Know what your purpose is. Don't forget to fly the airplane. And yeah, number three, seek solitude. Take a vacation you haven't done that, you ought to do it. I highly recommend it. I just got back from mine a little bit ago. It was great. But you know what? If I would have stayed on vacation, I wouldn't have a job when I got back, right? It is good to have some me time. It is good to seek some solitude. It is good to be away, but you can't do it forever. So find the rhythm between your soapbox and your sandbox, between your socialness and your Solitude. We need time alone. Jesus needed time alone. But it wasn't just for himself. He didn't go to the spa, he didn't get a massage. He was one with nature, in the mountains, in the desert, on the sea, so he could be one with the Father. His soul is what needed the massage, and he got that. Being in conversation with God himself. So don't confuse solitude with solitariness. John Wesley, I believe, was the one who once said, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. No such thing. And what he meant was that even when you are alone, God is still there. There. We need to spend time with him, as well as in community with one another. And in just a minute, we have a great illustration of that. We call it communion, community, right? With one another, we all believe the same thing. We're a part of the body of Christ. We've all come together, but also communion with God vertically as well as horizontally. Because in this meal we receive the very body and blood of Jesus himself. This is the gospel that we can taste and touch and consume. Jesus' purpose is number one goal. Preach that gospel through word and deed to actually go to the cross and die for us so that we can have community, communion with one another, and with our God forever. And so let me encourage you, take some time this week in your proverbial sandbox <laughs> so you can be prepared for your purpose in life, your soapbox. You may not be called to preach like Jesus or even like me, but you are called to proclaim the gospel. Re-energize. Regenerate. Spend some time alone with the Lord so you can be prepared for what you have been called to do. Let's all rise then and make profession of...